let's start there uh, at Matthew eleven twenty eight, and we'll start with a prayer. Holy Father, you surround us with armies of angels. You surround us with your holy word, and you surround us with the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, and teachers, preachers, parents, and friends. You also surround us with your own love and power, keeping your eye on us at all times. Help us to remember that you are with us no matter what, whether water or fire or oppression or any other danger. You are with us, a refuge in a day of trouble. You care for those who trust in you. Amen. That last is uh, Nahum 1 verse 7. One of my favorite uh, passages for hospital visits and other things. In a quite a thorn bush of law passages, there is that one little flower of Nahum 1.7. There aren't many others in that of gospel. Matthew uh, 11 finishes off with Jesus here uh, in these three, uh, 28, 29, 30, these three amazing verses uh, and if you can hear these verses without hearing a soprano sing in your head, you're a much better reader of scripture than I am because uh, I just hear the melody from Handel. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, got this. <laughs> but I sang this solo in high school um, as, a, as a tenor. Um, tell me what you think of verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Say that again. In you, yeah, that's your reaction to it. Is this like a sigh, Mrs. Tess? Yeah. That verb in the second half, uh, I will give you rest. I will cause rest to come into your life. Um, and this is also a promise not only of, of uh, eternal life, because of course we anticipate rest, um, the end of all of opposition and hostility and problems and trouble and grief in heaven. But this is also a promise for this lifetime. And we say that because of how he follows it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Um, let me ask the group, because you might have a better definition than me. What's a yoke? Did you say harness? I said harness. Harness, and yeah, that, uh, that thing, um, often they're heavily padded, but that gets the team to pull together at the same time. So that when as a kid, my dad would say, gee, they would both go right. 
and ha, and they would both go left because he'd be standing on top of the hay um, because my grandfather wanted his sons, even in the 1950s, to learn to to drive a team um, and not just a tractor. But uh, uh, the yoke gets them to pull together. And if Christ's yoke is easy, why is it easy? Yeah, he's taking all the strain. Um, it is, it is uh, almost as if, uh, uh, okay, hearken back to uh, an image you have of a covered wagon being pulled by four, right? And the two in front are taking a lot of the strain. And then you look carefully, and the two behind in this image I'm giving you aren't even on the yoke. They're just running alongside behind. Are they pulling anything at all? No, they're not. Because the one in front has everything. That's the way we're yoked with Christ. He is taking all of the strain. He has taken it all. And his yoke, the one he's put upon us, is easy. It's simpy. Sorry, simpy is a slang word from my childhood. Okay, so simple. Um, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Oh, ooh, okay. In the beginning of chapter 12, where we're headed here in just a minute or so, I am gentle and humble in heart is going to just flood over the chapter as Jesus is attacked once again by murderous morons who don't even understand human reason, let alone theology. Um, uh, people that the scriptures call Pharisees. We'll, we'll get to them in a minute. But my yoke is easy, my burden light, but you will find rest for your souls. Both now and in the world to come. Yeah. Anybody else have anything to say about this? Pure gospel. Go ahead. The, well, the what would what would Pastor Sutton have said? The spiritual Botox of the blessings of God, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. The other day, the kids were registering for classes at St. Paul's Elementary School, and and a few of us on the staff were also getting our pictures taken. So I'm there in my best clothes, which means my black preaching gown and the blue Christmas stole, right? That, so I'm, that's, I do a different stole color every year, but I, in my preaching gown. And I'm there, and one little girl runs up to me and points at the trophy case on the back of the lunchroom. Do you know the one I'm talking about? There's a trophy case back there full of trophies. And many of them are not athletic trophies, so it's just got like somebody holding up a wreath or something like that. And she asks me, what are all those for? 
And I, I, I apologize. I did not tell her the truth. Um, I said, those are all Pastor Sutton's preaching trophies. <laughs> Oh, I haven't told him that yet. I, I just going around. I oh, little girl, eight or nine, yeah, seventh grade or something like that. She'll her mother told her, and right afterwards, and said, "Let's go look at him," but because people were laughing. But yeah, I should be careful. But it couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. Chapter twelve, if you don't mind. And a, photo, a, a painting I grew up with in my father's den. Anybody know this one? Gleaners. And that's the, why I put it up. Because everybody gets the title wrong. Thank you, Beth. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, I, uh, uh, because there, who, who in this painting are the, by the way, uh, Millet, uh, painted this in 1857. This is when uh, uh, Bonaparte III is king in France. This is a French countryside painting. Who are the reapers in this painting? It's the guys in the background with those giant hay wagons. They're the reapers. The painting is not about the reapers. It's about these three women who are the gleaners. And that's the difference. Um, I remember that my brother and sister and I would look at this and say, how did they get those giant bales of hay in the back when they're picking them up, you know, one at a time here in the front? And the, the, and the, and the answer is, they don't. That, that's two different sets of people. Two different worlds are in this painting. The plenty in the back and the poverty in the front. And why, by the way, to just not, not that I'm an art critic, but where's all the light in the painting? It's in the background. Where's all the shadow and the darkness? It's in the front. You can't see, they're, they're the center of attention and you can't see their faces. You can feel the pain in their backs as they stoop. You know, I guess the older I get, the more I can feel the pain in the backs as they stoop. And I'm, I'm envious. I'm thinking I couldn't do what they're doing. <laughs> um, uh, but there they are. So at that time, let's get to verse 1 here. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick heads of grain and eat them. This was completely within the law of Moses. Oh, absolutely. This is Leviticus. It's, in, it's on your sheet. I have a couple of passages here. So Leviticus 19. By the way, if you're ever going to read one chapter of Leviticus, chapter 19 would be a really good choice. In fact, in your home Bible, if you're the kind of person who gets stuck sometimes in Moses, you want to read through everything, but let me, in, in, the, in the header where it just says Leviticus and big things, just, just write below it like the words, read chapter 19. Just let that be the one you go. If you're, if you're not going to do the whole thing or it's going to cause you to get stuck, don't get stuck. Read chapter 19 and move on, please. Please. But a wonderful chapter to read. Um, 
that chapter 19 is the one that begins with be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy and goes on from there. It is the, one of the most concise summaries of the law. It's as close as Leviticus gets to the Ten Commandments and it's a wonderful read. So, but uh, uh, famous verses there, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyards a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Do you remember Boaz and Ruth? You remember what Boaz did when Ruth didn't quite know what she was doing? He told his, his harvesters, leave some extra. In fact, pull some out and throw it on the ground and then she'll get it. You know, and yeah, and absolutely leave her alone. He had, this is a curious one. I was just in, uh, in I forget, it was last week. With regard to what, I think it was something in, in, in Zechariah 8. But he had figuratively spread his cloak of protection over her. What does she do later in the book? She uncovers his feet and spreads his cloak of protection physically over her, which is, um, and not only in Ruth, but other books of the Bible have a passage like that, you've spread your cloak around me. That's a marriage, at least proposal. It's certainly a marriage um, 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 image. Uh, a, a really delightful one. If when our young people got married, they would say, we want to, instead of a unity candle, we want to have a, we're going to put a cloak around the both of us. Be kind of a cool picture. I had a wedding. I've had five this summer, so I'm going to get tripped up here on which one it was. I think it was the one two weeks ago. Um, two weekends ago. Um, that would have been uh, uh Oh, um, Grant uh, Conageezer. So anyway, um, his parents used to own the, was it the subway in town? Yeah. Um, so Grant got married and his bride, they, they had chosen um, the cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's Ecclesiastes 4. And I preached on Ecclesiastes 1 that same weekend. It was tricky to keep those separate. I may have said that in the service you were in. I've only preached on Ecclesiastes three times and two of them were that weekend. Um, but uh, so what, 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 um, uh, uh, what the bride, Caitlin, did is she um, had her dad, I think, build a little, like a plaque with three strands of rope coming down. And then for their unity deal, which is, of course, just a matter of opinion and you don't have to do it, but they actually um, wove the strands into a single rope, which was pretty cool. They didn't know the knot, though, at the end. So it, it began to get unraveled, and they forgot it, and her mom had to come back and get it. And I suggested to her mom that she maybe put a rubber band around the bottom until they figure out the knot. You know, the, and that worked. Um, but it was, it was well done. It was pretty well done. Except that, bride, I don't know why some brides do this. She assumed her husband would know how to weave or how to braid, you know, but a guy who doesn't grow up with sisters doesn't know how to braid hair. Why should he? And I, I, I asked him, do you know how to, I asked in rehearsal, I said, do you know how to braid hair? And she said, of course he does. And he said, I don't. And she said, what? And I, 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 I said, well, no sisters 
Why do you think he's going to know how to braid hair? He didn't have to do it. Well, a real rope, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll bet you did it on horseback, too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. All right. Getting back, to <laughs> getting back to our text. So, as I said, there's nothing wrong at all with what the disciples are doing. God had commanded people to leave extra on the edges. Um, what, on, on a cornfield, how do you know where the edge is? Well, I mean, it's obviously right where, where it stops. However, what happens to the corn as it gets to the edge? Typically, or no, I mean the, the, the height of the corn stalks. They're usually shorter, right? It goes kind of down on the ends. Is that part of irrigation? Is it part of, I don't know what it is. Bev, your cornfields are so lush and full, you have no idea what I'm talking about. That's not, ours go up at the end because it's so perfect. And Yeah, so. Yours grows into corn trees at the, at the end. It's, more weeds, yeah, more, weed, more weeds along the end. So what a farmer might be tempted to leave anyway, because the, 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 um, the ears are maybe are going to be smaller anyway. You might be tempted to leave them anyway. But leave them. God says leave it. And if, you're, if, you're, if you've got grapes and some fall, just leave them. If you forget a, a clump or something, leave it. If you forget a row, leave it. Just leave it behind. Poor people are going to need this, and so he supplies for them that way. What the disciples were doing also was not labor in the strict sense of the word, even by, by the Pharisee's sense of the word, because what they were doing is walking through the field, running their hands along the tops of the grain stalks, you know, the, the amber waves in our anthem. Um, and then when they would come across an actual uh, um, head of grain, grab it and pick it and rub it between their hands probably, just and, and, and shuck it that way, basically, of the hull, and then pop the grain into the mouth, which is extremely chewy for, yeah, but just, and just kind of chew on that, get your saliva going, it's a little bit of, of, uh, of something to eat, um, but not at all labor in the sense of labor in anybody's sense, but what did the Pharisees say? Look what your disciples are doing. It's unlawful on the Sabbath. They weren't working. They're just gleaning. They're just walking around. And they're not even doing anything with their hands other than just running their hands along you know, the tops of, of, of things. Um, and I'm just going to read this also from Leviticus 23. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and alien. I am the Lord your God. When were the poor and aliens supposed to gather? Well, when they were hungry, and they would have to, most of them, every single day. You know, you gotta go, and you gotta go, and you gotta go. When my sons were younger, I could go to the grocery store once a week. Now? Every day. Every day, you gotta go and you gotta go and you gotta go and you gotta go. The month's grocery money is spent in the first week of the month. What's going on? How much does it take to feed my seven foot six tall uh, 
children who still live at home, you know. But he said to them, so Jesus counters with something completely unexpected. Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered God's house and ate the bread of the presence, which was lawful only for the priests to eat, not for him or his companions. Um, so I have, on the bottom of the page, I have 1 Samuel 21. Are, is anybody unfamiliar with this story? David at Nob? Or do you pretty much know it? Want to get a refresher? How about if I just read it? Is that okay? All right. And, and by the way, while I'm reading it, you can have this Google map of Jerusalem and Nob. So the bottom of the yellow bars... Is it, the, the top one is a mile. The bottom one is about a half a mile. That's Jerusalem on the bottom of this map. Those are streets. You can kind of see the honeycomb of the streets, right? Ancient Jerusalem was the bottom of this page. The, the whole thing is modern Jerusalem. So a mile north of here, what's a mile north of here? Cashwise is even less, is more than a mile. It's, we're still on Broadway, I think, a mile north of here, right? Is it, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, what's the pizza place up there? Happy Joe's? Is that about a mile away from here? Something like that? Well, that's the top of this sheet is knob. It's actually the red splotch. Okay, but you see kind of where it was. That was knob, just a mile or so from the north end of the, of the walls of the old city of David. So it's close by here, knob. It's just up at Happy Joe's, all right? That's where the shrine of the tabernacle was at this moment, okay? David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and said, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I told them to meet me at a certain place which the king may have said to David on another occasion, but it wasn't this occasion, but let's just go on with the story. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. Do you, any, any of you know what a loaf of bread would have looked like in these days? How big? Can you make a circle with your hands so that your fingers touch? So, loaf of bread. Yeah. And David goes, give me five. Okay, okay. Uh, but the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men, the priest doesn't believe David that he's alone. <laughs> he, the priest sees through him. Provided the men have, uh, have, where am I? Verse four. Provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us. David drops his pretense. As usual, whenever I set out, the men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? David is on a holy mission. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. So he doesn't take the holy bread out of the holy place that's on the table. That's still 
on its, I'm going to say spindles, because they bake that bread with a, like, like my mother's bunt pan with a, mom always used a 7-Up bottle to hold that thing up in the air. Um, is that how you, anyway, that's not how bread was done, but it was probably baked with a hole in it so it would fit on a spindle because the table of the presence in the old tabernacle, the, mo, the movable tabernacle, was so small. How could you get 12 loaves of this big a bread on this one cubit long table, um, no, a two cubit long table, um, from here to here? Um, but they, they seem to have spindles, like, uh, like when the DJs used to spin the stacks of wax, and they would put the records on the spindles, and there you go, there's your mental picture, okay? Are you thinking of Elvis again? Uh, verse 7 probably now one of Saul's servants was there that day detained before the Lord probably because he was ceremonially unclean that's why he had to stick around he was somebody pronounce his name did you say doge like the doge of Venice oh cool in Italian his is not an Italian name though it is it is Edomite, and dough egg would be right. As if you've made an egg out of dough. Oh, what's that? It's a dough egg. Dough egg. That's not what it means, by the way. Yes? How far removed is this guy from Esau? He was an Edomite. He was a descendant of Esau, right? Well, this is David's time. Okay. Right, right, right. So, um, 1492. It's a... Uh, 800 years back to Esau. Yeah, five back to Moses. Uh, Saul's head shepherd. That's who this guy was. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's business was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no other sword here but that one. David said, no, there's none like it. Give it to me. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. Um, I included that last part because of how gutsy it must have been. Where was Goliath from? Gath. Gath. Where does David go with Goliath's sword? Gath. Gath. What did David do to Goliath? Cut his head off with this sword. Yeah, this is all, this pretty gutsy move on David's part. Um, and David gets away with it. Um, but uh, David asked for the consecrated bread. The priest has no problem with it. You're hungry? You can have the old bread. The new bread is there for the Lord. The old bread is for us. But if you're holy, you can share with it. Why? Because it was the bread of fellowship. Permissible. Unusual, but Permissible. All right. Or have you, and then Jesus goes to a very unusual place for the, for the Pharisees, and one that I've thought about ever since my first day as a vicar helping with worship. Because I came out of that service in August of 1997, ringing with sweat, and my young wife and grandmother who were there, who had paid for my with all of its lace were horrified at how soaking wet the thing was 
um, uh, because of how much you know of, of how how much work it is to do worship. And so Jesus says, "Or have you not read in the law that on Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? How does a priest violate the Sabbath?" Yeah, he butchers animals. I, as a child, we butchered deer every November. And I remember how much of an effort that was for a bunch of us. And, uh, and I hardly had to do much of anything except throw the feet away and stuff like that as a kid. Um, but, and label things. But to, to, to butcher and butcher and butcher and butcher because people are bringing their sacrifices to the temple on the Sabbath day um, is really hot, heavy, difficult, strenuous work. Would they break a sweat? Of course they would break a sweat. Yes? And yet the priests are also ringing with sweat. Okay. You know, uh, everybody is basically. Sure. Well, they had to catch the blood. In uh, an, an ox is about uh, twelve gallons, fifteen gallons of blood. Um, it would be two five-gallon pails plus extra. A sheep, um, a uh, you know, that would be would be quite a bit less. Um, but the pans what must have been enormous that they would catch the blood and then spatter on the, on the horns of the altar and so forth. And just that, just carrying, what would it take to carry a pan that could hold five gallons of water? That's a heavy deal. You know? and then, and, but then it's not just a matter of carrying it from A to B, it's of dumping it in the correct way against the altar. You know, um, so the priests are innocent, even though they're doing all this work, let alone the, the sacrificers themselves. But I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. One greater than the temple is here. So the temple is the only path to God for daily, yearly forgiveness. Why is Christ greater than the temple? Because he is the only path to eternal forgiveness and gives it. Greater than the temple itself. And yet, they don't have a... This never gets brought up later on when they're bringing charges against Jesus. If I would have been a clever Pharisee, um, this one would have been on the list of the things that he said that were you know, questionable. Um, yet if you had known what this means, this is Hosea 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. If he's greater than the temple, he's greater than all of the temple's activities. Lord of the Sabbath. And they're pretty much dumbstruck here. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.